Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, On the first day, God said, Let there be light. And there was light. On the second day, God separated the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. On the sixth day, God made man. On the seventh day, God rested. But what about the eighth day? Not too many of us remember what happened on the eighth day, but Luke did. Of course, this is not the eighth day of creation we are talking about. This is the eighth day of the incarnation of Jesus, our Lord and God. We read, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Last Sunday and Monday, we celebrated the incredible birth of Jesus into this world. The long-awaited, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, and the one through whom everything was created, now lives and breathes among his creation. A little baby, born in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. His eyes look around and sees people, people he loves, and people he will, in three decades, die for on a cross. Today we see him pictured in the one verse of the gospel lesson, visibly eight days old, yet older than time. Scripture tells us that a sharp, probably stone, knife was taken, and they circumcised this little baby, their creator. It is then that his name was given to him, spoken first by the angel, and now made known to the people of God. Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Eight days after Jesus was born, he was circumcised and named. It just so happens that this day falls on the same day we celebrate as New Year's Day. And since that's tomorrow, it made sense that we should focus on it today. Circumcision. Probably not something you hear about in the world very often, let alone something you hear about in church. Now, statistics are a few years old, so when we say that circumcision, which is not recommended by the Canadian Pediatric Society, happens only 32% of the time, well, it might be lower today. With that being said, we might ask these questions. Did Jesus have to be circumcised? Was there any value to Jesus being circumcised? And does it somehow benefit us? It will help, I believe, to go back to when circumcision was initiated and for what purpose. We saw that in our Old Testament reading from Genesis 17. God makes a covenant, a promise with Abraham, that he would be the father of many nations. And as a sign of the covenant with Abraham, God established circumcision to be done on the eighth day for all males. And this identified Abraham's descendants, the sons of Abraham, if you will, as the people of God. Without that mark, the man is cut off 
from the people of God, not counted among them, and could not receive the blessings that they receive as they trusted in the promises of God. The promise that not only would Abraham's descendants be as numerous as the stars in the sky, but that from that line would come the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one. Normally, we think of circumcision and baptism, its New Testament counterpart, as events or actions which fulfill a command of God. Yet that command is not fulfilled by the individual, but by people acting on their behalf. And often when we talk about the commands of God, we would call them the works of the law, the demands of God. But is something like circumcision, or even baptism for that matter, the law? Or is it gospel, an act of God's grace? I would argue that they are primarily acts of grace, the gospel. When we talk about the law, we often say that they are the things that we are to do. We look at the Ten Commandments and we see the big commands of God that have been laid out, laid out for us. No other gods. Remember the Sabbath day. Don't murder or steal or lie and so on. We're called to follow them. We do that. The law is active. When we talk about the gospel, we often say that they are the things that have been done for us. The gospel is passive. So one thing interesting to note is that receiving the mark of the covenant in circumcision that identifies that person as a member of God's family is done without their permission. They are identified as God's chosen one without their decision. They passively receive it. We can say the same thing about infant baptism as well. So when we talk about circumcision and even baptism, these are acts of God's grace and therefore gospel, even though both have been commanded by God. The law was fulfilled for them. God's favor was given to a person where they were counted among God's people because of the action of another. Ultimately, the act of God who bestows the grace, the forgiveness, the love. So did Jesus need to be circumcised for righteousness sake in order to fulfill the law? Not exactly. For in being both man and God, he was already fully righteous prior to being born of Mary. All things were created through Jesus. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is holy, the Alpha and Omega. He is pure and righteous and perfect. He is without sin. Yet he was circumcised. And in doing so, an important thing happens. He is counted among the people of God. He belongs among them. He is one of them, one of us. He, the Lord, the one true God, the Messiah, allowed himself to be identified with us as one of us. There is a bond between us, a very important bond. Had Jesus not been circumcised, he would have been cut off from us. He would not have bonded with the people of God. In his crucifixion, he will be cut off, but so shall we be with him. 
for as we will see, the cross is the most incredible of circumcisions. It was not for his own righteousness sake that Jesus was circumcised. Rather, in order to be righteous for us, Jesus was circumcised. It is not his fulfillment of the law, but the fulfillment of the law for us by him. As Jesus is circumcised in that painful cut of circumcision, he is made part of the family. He is made one of us. He is not just a God who stands idly by like a watchmaker God who sets things in motion and leaves everything to us. He comes and dwells among us and identifies himself with us. He is united to the people of God through a blood covenant, a covenant that pictured his blood being spilled much later and in a much more dramatic way. Jesus' circumcision was the beginning of the blood redemption, buying back our souls. At his circumcision, Jesus' blood was shed. This circumcision marking the beginning of Jesus' suffering, pointing ahead to the punishment that Jesus would take on the cross for the sins of the world. He will be circumcised. He will be presented at the temple. He will later be baptized. And eventually, like all, will suffer death and its pain and agony. Jesus was putting an end to God's wrath. No more sacrifices would be needed after Jesus had fulfilled this suffering on the cross. And so, too, circumcision would no longer be a requirement to the people of God. But in identifying with us, there's something more. There is the promise that comes in his naming. He is the I am who saves us, the I am who delivers his people. He identifies with us so that he can do that very thing. Deliver us through the troubles we face in our life, the challenges we face in our families, in our workplaces, in our world. All the problems we face in this world are because of sin. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve not following God's command to not eat this one fruit. And since then, our world has been forever destroyed by sin. And that destruction doesn't just have to do with pain and suffering. doesn't just have to do with relationships failing, people not getting along with one another, hatred, violence, sexual immorality. It has to do with death. And it's not just about physical death. It's spiritual death. It's damnation. It's hell. Being cut off from the love and grace of God for all eternity. That is what we all deserve for our sin. Jesus, the one who saves, is the one willing to spill blood and have his flesh cut through to make things right. This happened when Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will, died for the sins of the world, for your sins and mine, on the cross. And he rose from the dead to bring us all to heaven. That is why the name Jesus means the Lord saves. Even though we don't really talk about it, 
circumcision hasn't left the church because it's still something we all go through. And it's something that happens to us in Christ, where we identify with him. Listen to Paul's words again that you heard in the New Testament reading from Colossians. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is why I consider the work of the cross and our baptism, where we are united with Christ's death, the ultimate form of circumcision, the ultimate grace-filled surgery on mankind. This is an incredible picture in circumcision, which means literally to cut around. It's an operation that is done with extreme care, with steady hands, by experts. To carefully remove that which is unnecessary and leave behind all that is important to life. What Paul writes is no longer circumcision as in the cutting around of flesh, It's something far different, yet quite similar. It is the spiritual removal of sin from our hearts, our souls, through baptism, and it's uniting us to Christ's death, that we might be united to his resurrection. It is God carefully separating that which he made from the sin that ruins it. God takes all that is unnecessary and cuts it away leaving us. He circumcises us in our baptism as buried with Christ in his death. We are raised in faith with him as well. To do this, he had to know that which he would operate on. He had to understand us. He had to be with us. And so he was. At eight days, getting cut and bleeding, and 30-plus years later, getting nailed to the cross. It is the powerful working of God that in operating on us so, our sin is removed from us. Death has occurred at the cross. The penalty has been paid. God carefully removes all that which is unrighteous from us, leaving us united with Christ Jesus, whole, free, delivered, saved. We are free. For Jesus is God who saves. With the circumcision and naming of Jesus, God fulfilled the law and began suffering for our sins. At our baptism, God circumcised our hearts, and connected us to Christ, giving us his name and character. And that is why we are called saints. As circumcision marked men as the people of God, baptism marks us as ones redeemed by Christ the Savior. As we look 
at this upcoming year, as we celebrate the eighth day, I pray that you will realize the sin that God has removed from you is removed from you and that you can live, truly live with hope and courage in the peace that is found in living in faith in Christ. Amen. And now the peace which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.